listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire, welcoming you to today's program, wherever you are in the USA or the world. Thank you for tuning in. Tuning in, you have a choice, you know. You can tune in to lies, deception, falsehoods, propaganda, indoctrination, mind control, hypnosis, and we could go on and on and on. Or you can choose to tune in to the truth. Now, what is the truth when it comes to radio, TV, uh, computer technology, et cetera, et cetera? What is the truth? Well, nothing is the absolute truth except for Jesus Christ and specifically the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. So, so the only thing, actually, that we could categorize as absolute truth would be if I simply read from Genesis to Revelation. I would do that, except that there's lots of platforms that offer that, and we do read the Word of God. Now, the same with speaking or whatever. The only thing that you can be assured of that something, information, content, data, whatever it is, words, the only thing that you can be certain of is that the words that contain absolute truth, there, there are only a certain set of words that fit that requirement. That's the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Now, we can have commentary like we do in the Paul McGuire Report, but let's not kid ourselves. No matter who you're listening to, secular, Christian, religious, spiritual, whatever, no matter who you're listening to, including me, the only thing that you can be sure of 100% of whether I'm sharing something or communicating something or somebody else is communicating something, if, it's, I'm, if, if it is the Word of God that I'm speaking to you verbatim, I'm reading, for example, Genesis 1-1 to the last verse in the book of Revelation. That's the only thing that we can be certain of that is absolutely true, because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So only God, the biblical God, is truth, and the biblical Word of God is absolute and reflects absolute truth. So all the other stuff, if, if we were to take a scale and measure it, and let us say the, the, the measuring stick, so to speak, for, for everything we're going to measure against it, the measuring stick or the standard would be the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Because we know that's 100% truthful. Now, any deviation from that truth, it, it goes into the area of non-truth, like sometimes in shades, okay? So, commentary, opinions, scientific uh, theories, or whatever, <clears throat> may or may not be true. And what we want to do with our lives is, is acquire as much knowledge, because knowledge is power, acquire as much wisdom, guidance, truth, as we can, because knowledge is power. The truth shall set you free. And this is something you'll hear me say a lot on the Paul McGuire Report. I say it a lot, and I explain it a lot in, in my books. It's a central truth or a central theme that I believe the Lord has given me to communicate. It's extremely simple, <clears throat> but in an age of almost universal deceit and deception, where lying has become the new normal, both in, in, in Christian circles many times, sadly, and in non-Christian circles. So the key is to attempt to have a biblical worldview, 
And, and this is something that modern Christians just, they, they just do not want to hear it. Now, unfortunately, uh, I, I don't know if I have to, I shouldn't even be using the word unfortunately, because why would I apologize for God? So I'll, 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 I'll take out unfortunately, because that's a bad choice of words. Let's just put it this way. When you are looking, analyzing, using your mind, solving problems, whatever it is with your brain, your mind, your memories, emotions, whatever, whatever it is, you're going to be accurate to the degree that you have <clears throat> invested in your own life by, by planting the seeds of accumulative truth over time in your mind. In other words, the more of the Word of God that you have built into your mind, memory, soul, spirit, and brain, the more of the Word of God that's in there, the more truth that's in there. Now, the all-important step, which, which is absolutely mandatory in the eyes of God, you know, you can see how I get passionate about this stuff. You say, well, why, do, why does he get passionate about all this stuff? Because if you've noticed, I'm passionate about a very, very long list of things, right? That's part of the reason you listen to the program. It's also the reason some people don't listen to the program, because some people don't want to hear anybody who's passionate about the truth. Now, the reason I'm passionate about it, and this is a critical point, it's a side point, but it's a critical point. The reason I'm passionate about all these things is not because of my personality, my temperament, my willpower, or anything to do with my own human strength or ability. Okay? Now, let's just establish that as a fact, because it is. So what kindles the passion in me continually? I'll tell you what it is very simply. Number one, God does use each one of our individual, unique, and distinct personalities. Your personality, the redeemed part of it, Okay, the redeemed part of it. I mean, if you're a serial killer, God's not going to use that part of your personality. He'll probably snuff you out. I'm talking about the redeemed part of your personality. God uses. But the reason I'm passionate on such a consistent level is because of the work of the Holy Holy Spirit inside of me. In other words, it really, if I was to take a lie detector, and I wanted to pass the lie detector test, I would have to say this. The passion and enthusiasm has nothing to do uh, with my personality, my temperament, uh, my willpower, human gifting, or whatever, or whatever. The passion, uh, the intensity by which I speak, is purely a byproduct of the Holy Spirit inside me. It's purely a byproduct of Jesus Christ living inside me. Now, I'll take it a little bit further. Not for the, not for the, please don't mistake my taking a, a little bit further as some kind of stealth maneuver on my part to pat myself on the back, because that's not what this is about, okay? Those of you that know me know that. It's, it's a byproduct of Jesus in me. When I got saved, Christ came in me, I was born again, the Holy Spirit was, came inside of me. Now, there are countless numbers of you who are saved. Probably the majority of the people listening are saved all over the world in the United States. 
a similar thing happen to you. But how the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ expresses himself through us, according to the Bible, is that God expresses himself through us, Jesus through us, the Holy Spirit through us. It is expressed, he is expressed in in different ways. Why? Because we have all been given by God gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we have not all been given the same gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we've all uh, been given the opportunity to manifest by faith the fruit of the Holy Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, etc. Those are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, we have all been given different natural human giftings from God. There may be similarities in our giftings, spiritual or, or, you know, the ability to be an entrepreneur or whatever, you know, whatever the ability is. But God gives different giftings and different abilities to people. So part of God's call for my life is doing exactly what I'm doing now. But it began, this is the critical thing, because I don't want this ever to be about me. The day it becomes about me, and that's the, the period in the sentence, is the day the program is over. Because if it becomes about me, then I've in, inadvertently shut the door on the move of Jesus and the move of the Holy Spirit in the program or show. I don't like the word show. The program sounds so academic. So I don't want to do that. <clears throat> Because that's the fastest way to kill a ministry uh, that you can you can undertake. So, before I was saved, I didn't have the Holy Spirit or Jesus living inside me. But I did, in my human personality, there were uh, many, many occasions, many, many occasions in my life, beginning in early boyhood, all the way through college, etc., before I was saved, where I, I would manifest the, the psychological giftings of God, the, the personality trait giftings of God in my life. So I often spoke out against what I perceived to be wrong or unjust, and I would stand up and be counted, uh, even if it meant uh, a peaceful and law-abiding, but momentary disruption of what I perceive to be counterfeit authority. Now, I I know that's going to bother a lot of people. Well, all I can say to you is let the Lord judge between us. So on the judgment seat of Christ, let the Lord judge us both in the light of his holy presence. And until then, put it in Christ's hands or pray for me. Now, so there would be many times in my life that I would speak out against injustice, I would be bold, I would be one against a thousand, literally. <clears throat> and this would express this itself on a, a, a regular basis. And it was really profound. But, but, it, but, it, but even though it was gifting in my personality, given to me by God, it wasn't connected to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus. That came after I was born again. But when I go back to after I was born again, it wasn't all that long after I was born again, the Holy Spirit lived inside me. I remember sitting in the uh, 
auditorium of the Lambs Club, listening to one of the other ministers <clears throat> give a weekday evening Bible uh, uh, teaching. And uh, he pointed me out, uh, and he said, he said, now Paul McGuire, for example, and I he think he was talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the different gifts that God gives people. And that's what he was talking about. So out of the blue, I had no idea he was going to say this. He pointed me out, and he said, well, like Paul McGuire. Paul McGuire is like the spark plug of, of an engine. And, and actually, the words he said were slightly different, but, but it basically meant that I was, the spark, in his eyes, one of my giftings is I was like a spark plug for an engine. And, and I received that into my spirit because it was true. And what he meant by that is that, you know, Engines don't run unless the spark plug's uh, working. The spark plug fires. I'm not a mechanic, so forgive me if I blow the mechanical description here. But as I understand it, the spark plug fires a spark of you know, electrical spark, which ignites the gasoline in the engine in the proper way, the proper manner. And then the engine turns over, and it, ha- it can drive. It has power. Without the spark plug, the engine doesn't do anything. It just sits there. So you could have like a high-end... Cadillac or Mercedes or whatever, but it's going nowhere unless the spark plug works. And he said that because he knew me and that he knew that a lot of the things that I said were were intentionally said by me and designed to to elicit a spark of the Holy Spirit that would enable God's people, which was our local ministry, the Lambs Club ministry, to come alive and fulfill the plan that God has for us. Now, that's not bragging, because I don't think in the flesh this guy particularly liked me. I mean, maybe he did. It's just that he was, he was like, we were total opposites, you know, and I can't blame him for that. And he can't really blame him for that. So those kinds of words were said to me often, where, where people would make a comment. They even created a uh, slogan for, for the previous radio show I did for 10 years, uh, four hours a day, Monday through Friday, and usually Saturday and Sunday live drive time in every major market in the United States, AM and FM. And, and the, the uh, radio slogans and the advertising slogans, and I didn't create the slogan, was catch the McGuire fire. And the idea was because the show set people on fire and, and stirred them out of their apathy, uh, they came up with that slogan, Catch the McGuire Fire. Now, this is not to brag about myself. That's, that's not the point. The point is, you have giftings and abilities and anointings that the Lord has put in you. They may not be the same. They may be similar. But uh, as I was growing in the Lord, you know, the Lord guided my footsteps. The Lord led my path. The Lord grew the gifts inside me. Now, I want to say something very, very important to, to, to everyone who's listening, who desires to grow in the Lord, and who desires to fulfill the mission that God has for you. And that's this. A great deal of your Christian life, especially when you're first saved and newly born again, a great deal of your Christian life, especially when you're like an infant in Christ, the Bible uses those words, so don't get offended has to do with you feeding your mind, feeding your spirit, feeding your heart with the Word of God, with the seed of the Word of God. So the more of the Word of God you can get into you, the better off, believe me, 
the better off you're going to be years and years and decades down the road. I promise you that. Because what is the causative agent of everything that God is going to do in and through you? And by the way, you have no idea what God's going to do in and through you. And I don't care how old you are. This, this American notion of checking out at a certain particular age category is not a biblical notion. I'm not saying you don't have the right to retire or, or change things at a certain point in your life, if you can afford to or whatever. I'm not saying that. <clears throat> I know a lot of people who've retired, but they really haven't retired. They, they've just begun to do the things that they didn't have time to do before. And often that's ministry. It's emphasizing relationships, et cetera, et cetera, and serving the Lord. But anyway, <clears throat> everything that happens in your life is a byproduct of a sowing process. The more of the seed of the Word of God you get in you, the more you understand the Word of God, it's going like all seed. Now, this, this initially was very hard for me to understand because I grew up in New York City with subways and taxi cabs and, like, I had relatives who owned farms way up in New York State, but I saw them once every five or six or seven years. Okay, so I know nothing about farming and next to nothing about gardening. But, so for me, seeds were like difficult words, you know. Anyway, I got it because it's an easy message to get. The seed is, the seed is often the Word of God. And, the more, and whenever you plant seed in good soil, according to the Bible, what's good soil? It's with soil... That's, it's, that's, that is receptive to the seed, the Word of God, that contains the nutrients in it that will enable whatever the seed is to grow. And the seed is designed to bear fruit or to, to, to win souls or cause spiritual growth. So I took that seriously. Now, I had to take it seriously, and let me tell you why. And what I'm going to share with you right now is of the utmost critical importance to any one of you uh, who are listening, or <clears throat> anyone you know where you have influence in their lives. This principle, what, what I'm going to share with you, will revolutionize, will revolutionize your life, will transform your life. It is absolutely critical <clears throat> and mandatory that you uh, learn and live in the importance of this. So I heard the, these kinds of teachings and principles about getting the Word of God, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I began to discipline myself to read the Bible, whether it was chat. Yeah, I never read one or two pages. I think that's an insult to God. I mean, unless you're illiterate and you're trying to learn a new language, I think God has grace. But this American notion that, that an adequate Bible study is five minutes and you read two pages or a, a, you know, a, one chapter. When I mean one chapter, I mean one of the subchapters. That's, I just, I'll just be quiet. Um, so, but it's better than nothing. Let's call it a starvation diet. It's better than nothing. So um, the key is that I began to, I, I made it my goal. I committed myself to reading the Word of God. First thing I did, because I was taught this early on after I was saved, don't worry about, they told me, don't. My pastor told me, don't worry about understanding everything you read in the Word of God. That freed me up. Just read it faithfully. Don't worry about understanding it every time you read it. Now, you can, you can do that if you want. You can get a concordance and other things to look up words and stuff and meanings of passages. That's fine, as long as they're 
written by men or women of belief, not unbelief. So the, the critical thing here is that you commit yourself to reading the Word of God. So I forgot how many chapters I would read a week. But it was a rigorous schedule, but it, it was a schedule that, that I could do. It was, it, it was livable. So I made an intensive schedule for reading the Word of God. I also noticed a side benefit from preaching and ministering and, and functioning as an evangelist. I also learned that a huge benefit is that when you minister the Word of God to people, you're reading it out loud. And so when you see the Word of God with your eyes, and then you read, you read it out loud, you're seeing it, you're processing it in your brain, mind, and spirit, and then you're reading it out loud. That, that has a synergistic effect. The reading out loud of the Word of God super enhances your memorization and understanding of the Word, because it's a repetition. Now, back to what I was about to begin on. If you want breakthrough in your life, if you want deliverance from various kinds of bondages, and the bondages that human beings can get into is, is the list is endless. If you want deliverance, if you want your mind renewed, if you find yourself in a continuing series of, of raging battle for the mind, you know, you want victory in that area. If you want to see the removal of strongholds, satanically energized arguments against us, you want to see spiritual growth. If you want to be victorious and an overcomer over any drug addiction, legal or illegal, if you want to be victorious over alcohol, uh, sexual sins, addictions of, of every kind, one of the primary tools that will come up over and over again for you to, to engage in, it's a foundational tool, is simply Increase the amount of reading, studying, and hearing, and if need be, watching the Word of God. Okay? Because all of those are, are sensory gateways into your inner man, body, soul, and spirit, inner woman. You hear the Word of God, you watch the Word of God, you uh, study the Word of God, it, it saturates your inner man. Okay, and that can create the the fertile climate and environment for deliverance, breakthrough, spiritual growth, deliverance from addictions. I'm talking about supernatural deliverance from addictions. The more you saturate or program your mind with the Word of God, the more of the power of Christ you will see operating in your life. And so, what I did because I was heavily involved. In New Age, the occult, altered states of consciousness, experimenting with psychedelic drugs, etc., etc., etc. I had, out of my foolishness and rebellion, had opened a portal in my mind, for lack of better words, like a psychic portal in my mind, that would make made me extremely sensitive to, to spiritual activity going on around me, or going on in a room, or an environment around me. Now, this was very difficult. Some of you understand it because you've been through it. But the problem was, if there was demonic activity, I mean, I was spiritually sensitive to God's activity. That was a blessing. <clears throat> but when you open the door at, at a, for seasons in your life to demonic activity, let me just tell you how it played out for me. I could, I could go into a room, and if there was a demonic presence in that room, 
which was usually related to something that happened in the room or the kinds of people that were in the room, I would pick up it, pick up on it immediately. And it would be very disruptive for me because it would be, it would just, it would be very real. If I glanced at somebody and looked in their eyes and they were deeply involved in meditation or Eastern mysticism or the occult or witchcraft or Satanism or whatever, I could pick up that demonic activity immediately and it would be very disruptive and disorienting. Okay, it was kind of like the metaphor, you know, exaggerates it slightly, but it's kind of like having x-ray vision. It's very disruptive. And, and as a young Christian, even though I came from the counterculture generation where those things were known about to a certain percentage of people, you can't, and if you're listening to me now, you know what I'm talking about. You just can't go up to anybody and tell them what you're experiencing because it's going to freak them out if they're Christians. Most Christians are not prepared on how to deal with it. And many professionals are not prepared on how to deal with it. And you're going to just get yourself in a big mess. I mean, you got to be very careful and selective who you share that with. Okay? Extremely careful. Now, the other thing is, if you share it to a lot of Christians, <clears throat> they may think you're crazy. And they may be frightened. And, and, and the majority of the time, they don't know what to do. Okay, so, you know, I was leading to the people to the Lord. I was ministering on stage. God was using me publicly in ministry. I knew the Word of God. I had a strong anointing on my life. But I was continually involved in spiritual battle in these areas that I just described to you. And I wanted victory. And so somebody told me that I needed to begin saturating my mind with the Word of God. So that's what my, my phase one of the spiritual battle was. I committed myself to saturating my mind, my subconscious mind, to the Word of God. So this is how it plays out. I would read and study the Word of God. For me, it was like an hour or two a day. My profession and lifestyle allowed that. But there's ways you can still accomplish it. Okay, so the way I accomplished it is this was back in the days of... Uh, tape recordings, you know, tapes you could play in your car or whatever. So I would listen to, you know, the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, like New King James Version or King James Version or whatever. And I would keep it playing out loud wherever I was 24-7. I would regulate it, obviously, if I'd talk to somebody or whatever. But I'd always have the Word of God playing in the background wherever I was. So even, you don't have to be sitting there consciously concentrating on it, the mere fact that the Word of God is saturating your mind, it's going into your subconscious, it's going into your spirit, it's going into your brain, whether you're actually sitting there and, and processing it or not, it's accomplishing, it's definitely accomplishing its goal. And then I would do the same thing as I slept. I would play, I'd get some extra long tape or whatever, so I'd play like four hours or whatever, then I'd have to put in another tape. I'd have it low, but I would keep the Word of God playing all night long. Not so loud that it would keep me up, but I would hear it constantly. Now, and then I continued to study the Word of God and read the Word of God. And then uh, when I used to commute 180 miles a day round trip, 
180 miles. Yeah, it was 180 miles a day round trip from where I lived to the radio studio where we did the Paul McGuire show. And that would take anywhere from three and a half to six hours uh, uh, well, one way it could take anywhere from three and a half to six hours. Remember, L.A., Orange County, is a parking lot. Now, that was a real blessing for me when I conceptualized the massive audiences of people I had all across the country because they were stuck in traffic. That's no longer available to radio talk shows <clears throat> because people have so many alternative medias available. But I would often listen to the Word of God over and over again in the car that I drove or teaching tapes or something like that or worship tapes. Now, you do that and you get a cumulative effect. Also, without you realizing it, you start to memorize and it's effortless because you don't, you start, because through the repetition, you start to memorize passages of the Word of God, verses of the Word of God. So you keep doing this and you don't have, I mean, initially you need to hit it hard. Because if you're, you're fighting for spiritual deliverance, you need to hit the battlefield hard. But you may not keep up that intensity your entire life, except for seasons or whatever. But it will renew your mind. It goes in deep into your being. And it is one of the most transforming powers, especially in the time that we live in, when we're all in a spiritual battlefield with confusion and chaos and lies and the spirit of this age. You saturate your mind with the Word of God. And it will change you for the better. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Take advantage of all our free resources. We have some new uh, uh, prophetic emergency alerts coming out, uh, video versions. We have the Paul McGuire Report archives. You can listen to all shows. We have hundreds of pages of articles written by me with great photographs and illustrations. We have the Roku channel, hundreds of hours of conferences, Bible prophecy teaching and ministering I gave at the uh, Paradise Mountain Church, and all kinds of resources for you, including big book discounts. If you pre-order my brand new book, Power from on High, and book, bulk book discounts if you get the other books, like Conquering the Matrix. The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2, and more. Simply go to paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And again, thank you for joining me in the spiritual battle and praying for me, my family, those associated with this ministry, and our outreach. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for spreading our message far and wide. That's critical. Thank you for your obedience, and thank you for your obedience doing what God tells you to do in terms of your contributions, gifts, and donations. When you choose to, to seek the Lord and do what he tells you to do, then we partner together and we're able to reach a massively larger amount of people than we could normally reach. And that's critical in saving souls and winning people to Jesus Christ. Okay, visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And we'll be back in just a moment. This is the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. So the Word of God is a very powerful mechanism for changing our inner man or woman. And it goes back to that old computer expression, G-I-G-O, or GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. What you put into your spirit, brain, and mind is what you become. Very, very simple. 
in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when you take the word of God into your inner man or woman, you, you need to know, I need to know what the Bible tells us. The Word of God is living and powerful. The Word of God is not just ink on a page or papyrus or whatever. It's not just some kind of dye on paper, or it's not just a bunch of digital electronic information that you see in your cell phone or laptop anymore. You may be impressed with the electronics involved in reading the Word of God on a iPad or a cell phone or a laptop or whatever, digital information. But you know what? That's like nothing to God. And the best of printing presses, beginning with the Gutenberg printing press, which enabled the Bible to be circulated to the common man centuries ago. The Word of God, in and of itself, it says, for the Word of God is living and powerful. So the actual words in the Word of God are alive, living, and powerful. Why are they alive? Because the Word of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word that became flesh. Okay, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Very simple to understand. Think of the Trinity as water. Water is still water, but water can be in a liquid form, in a steam form, or in a frozen or ice form. Whether it's steam ice or liquid water, it's still water in the same way that the triune God, the Trinity, is still the triune God or the Trinity, whether he is expressing himself as God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. Simple stuff, right? You got it. But God the Father, God the Son is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. So so the Word becomes flesh. That means Jesus became flesh. Jesus and the Word are one. So when you read the Bible, you're actually partaking or allowing into yourself something that is living and powerful. What is it that's alive in the Word of God? Jesus. Jesus is the the living Word of God. That's the supernatural dimension to God's Word. That is so powerful. That is so awesome. That is so mind-blowing that it takes all the the 200 years of uh, relatively recent uh, discoveries in the area of quantum physics, and it blows the theories of quantum physics, whether it's string theory or the other related theories to quantum physics. It just blows it into a whole set of dimensions that they still haven't discovered yet. Why? Because Modern science, with all its breakthroughs, hasn't come close to understanding the reality that the Word of God is a living thing, and that it is Jesus Christ is the Word that has become flesh. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So when you read that, when you hear it, when you watch it, why do I say watch it? Because sometimes um, the best way in our technological world to saturate yourself with the Word of God is you can have a whole bunch of Bible verses being displayed on your TV screen with gentle music in the background or nature scenes in the background. And, you know, you can, you can get a, a click into a computer file on your laptop and, and listen and watch six hours of Bible verses 
with waterfalls and flowers or whatever, or the sea behind it. Well, you're watching the Word of God. You're getting it into it. It's a form of reading the Word of God. I often, when I'm working or in the background, especially if I'm doing what I consider to be mundane and boring chores. Now, you may have a different category for certain activities than I do, and we all have our faults, and this is one of mine, among many. And that is, I have a low tolerance. I mean, we all share in household duties and responsibilities. The longer you've been married, uh, theoretically, the more you should be willing to share, whether you're the husband or the wife. Because at a certain point in your marriage, and you'll never arrive at it perfectly, uh, the two become one flesh. We're not just talking about physically, but if you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church, you're to serve your wife. That doesn't mean you're the doormat, but you're to serve your wife. And so I help out. And I don't want to paint any picture that some people mis- may misconstrue and, and uh, some people may artificially be tempted, I doubt it, but be artificially tempted to, to perceive me on a higher moral scale and spiritual scale, than, which is real. And I don't like that, and I'll tell you why I don't like that. I've met enough pastors and Christian leaders in my life. Most don't do this, but there is, is a percentage that do do it. They, they kind of cultivate a, a, an almost worship type attitude towards themselves, and they, they, they present themselves as if they're unrealistically holy, unrealistically sanctified, unrealistically spiritual. And personally, I find that a little repugnant. I do not want people to think of me in a higher vein than is, than is real, okay? I would rather lose followers, watchers, listeners, whatever, and be real and be a fake, and put it on a fake spiritual act. Okay, enough of that. So, the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, the, the point here is that the, in, in, in the full armor of God that Paul talks about, one of, the, one of the, the only offensive weapon in the full armor of God that the Apostle Paul describes is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, the sword of the Spirit, or the sword, is the Word of God. And it's no accident that it says well, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That means that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's a reminder that the swords of that time were razor-sharp on, on either side of the sword, the left-hand side or the right-hand side. They, the sword was designed to cut both ways in battle, so you would swing like forward and then pull back. And so sword was an offensive weapon that you could wield and use in any direction because it was razor sharp on both sides as well as, as the top. So the Word of God is like that. Whenever you're using the Word of God as an offensive weapon, I'm not talking about yelling at somebody. I'm talking about speaking the Word of God. Remember, when we speak the Word of God and we're using it as a spiritual weapon, the Word of God, because, because it's a sharp sword that's double-edged, when you pull that sword back, it can easily cut into you, as easily as it cuts into somebody that, that spiritually speaking. In offensive warfare, it can easily uh, pierce your being and cut quite deeply. See, the Apostle Paul is, is giving us a heads-up 
to the enormous power in the Word of God. So because the Word of God is sharper and living and more powerful than any two-edged sword, it has the capacity to pierce or cut even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God is so powerful and so sharp that it has the capacity to, to pierce uh, and actually cut and divide our soul from our spirit. Now, that's a very delicate spiritual operation, so to speak. If you have the Word of God being so sharp that it can divide your soul and spirit, that, that, that's a surgical ability. So what does that mean, to divide uh, between soul and spirit? Well, your soul is where, like, your emotions, your memories, and a certain degree of your consciousness exists in your soul. Your memories, your emotions, your feelings, that's generally considered the soul. The spirit is your spiritual inner man. And before you're saved, you have only one spirit living inside you. It's your human spirit. Every person born is born with a human spirit. It's not saved. It's just the inner you. Okay? And then, after you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit works in cooperation, by the way, and regenerates your inner human spirit. That's how you get to be born again. When you accept Christ by faith, when you ask for forgiveness of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes inside you, makes you born again. How? By by the Holy Spirit regenerating your, or making anew, or making born again your human spirit. That's how that works. Now, because the sharpness of the Word of God is so sharp, it can divide the soul from the spirit. So again, the soul is the memories, the emotions, thoughts, uh, feelings, and the spirit, I believe here, is referring to your human spirit. Now, your human spirit can influence uh, your human soul, okay? And and they they work in, in relationship with one another. So the way that that plays out is that if we're all born with a fallen human nature, that means our flesh, our biological man is fallen. But it also means that our spirit man, our spiritual man is fallen. That's why we have a natural tendency or a natural propensity to sin. It's because we're born with a fallen nature, we're born with a fallen human spirit. Now, when we're saved and ask for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, it regenerates our human spirit, and it gives us the Holy Spirit, which makes us born again. If it is our human spirit, which is fallen, which is influencing our soul, our memories, our emotions, our feelings, then our fallen human spirit is going to have a tendency to direct or lead our fallen soul into the direction of either sinful thoughts or sinful activities, because the, 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 the spirit has fallen, and the, it, it's fallen away from God, and it, it naturally is inclined to, to sin. So when you're saved, you're, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. You're born again. So you, you're, you're driven theoretically by faith, by a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that new spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
begins to lead and guide and direct your human spirit now, even though your human spirit may rebel somewhat, it's going to direct your human spirit to walk in the way of the things of God, to be obedient to God, to do the things that God wants you to do. There's a a verse in the Bible which says uh, that uh, the spirit of a man or a woman is the candle of the Lord. That means your human spirit is the candle of the Lord. But that only works to the degree that the Holy Spirit is in residence in your inner man, and you've been regenerated, and you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, a brand new spirit. It will function as a candle. It will shine light both in your human spirit, and it will shine light from your human spirit into your soul. So the whole concept that we are beings composed of a body, soul, and a spirit And these have a relationship with one another in our inner man. And so reading the Word of God is imperative. How do we renew ourselves to the mind of Christ? By reading and meditating on the Word of God. And it says it will will end up functioning almost like a surgical knife. Because when it pierces to, to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, it's cleansing. It's delivering, it's healing, it's renewing, it's making new. And it says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when the Word of God goes into the depths of your subconscious, the Word of God goes into the depth of your being, your inner man, your inner spirit, your inner woman. When the Word of God penetrates to those depths, it functions as light. It functions as God's power of redemption. And it can discern what your real thoughts and what the real intent of your heart is, so that you can be delivered. See, we fool ourselves. Our fallen nature is built to fool ourselves. But here's a way that we can experience deliverance. And so this is, a, this is an incredible thing. So I began to do that for, for a period of months, and it's been a lifelong habit, and it has planted the seed of the Word of God in me. And I cannot tell you the percentage and the, the, the sheer volume and the amount of ministry that is able to come out of this ministry and come out of my heart because of all the seed of the Word of God that's been planted in my heart over decades. Without that willingness to obey God and plant the seed of the Word of God in my heart on a continual basis in the manners I just described to you, I would have no ability to, to minister in an outflow of the seed of the Word of God that's been planted in my heart, soul, mind, and inner being. And the same is true for you. So if you want breakthrough, if you if you want to, and see, the whole thing that I'm trying to share with you, you don't have to be, obviously the preferable thing is to be awake, studying, active, involved, taking notes as you do reading, reading, reading the Word of God. But that's not always possible. So what I'm telling you is not to stop the other, but on, on a supplemental basis, by simply playing the Word of God, watching the Word of God, wherever you are, even while you sleep, you are regenerating. You are renewing your inner man, and it's very powerful. So I began to do that, and you know what I felt like? This goes back to an old, old cartoon. I don't even know if it still runs the cartoon, but it did when I was a kid. There was a character called Popeye, who was a sailor, and there was, uh, I forgot his girlfriend, 
uh, and then there was a bully named Pluto. So whenever the bully would come to the beach, the bully was super muscular, and he would just kick sand in, in Popeye's face and humiliate Pop- Popeye, and then run off with Popeye's girlfriend. Okay, now this the, these cartoons were made uh, partially due to the military. They wanted people to eat healthier. So the, the cartoon show served as a promotional vehicle, and you'll understand in a second. So as soon as Popeye started eating his spinach every day, they'd show him opening a can of spinach, Popeye eating a can of spinach. So, so the message was eating spinach is very, very healthy, and it's going to make you stronger. So in the cartoon show, which millions of people watch like me, Popeye would eat his spinach. Then Pluto the bully would come marching down the beach. Oh, olive oil was uh, Popeye's girlfriend. So, so Popeye would, um, no, Pluto the bully would march down the beach, grab olive oil, Popeye's girlfriend's hand, to, to whisk her away, kick sand in the face of Popeye, humiliate and embarrass him. But now it was a brand new day. Everything had changed. Why? Popeye ate his spinach. And so instead of being disgraced, humiliated, and beaten up by Pluto, <clears throat> the minute Pluto comes to attack Popeye, Popeye turns into Superman, so to speak, because he's eaten his spinach, he's rippling with muscles now, and he pounds in self-defense uh, uh, Pluto the bully. So as long as Popeye is eating his spinach on a regular basis, Pluto the bully is defeated and held in restraint. Now, I couldn't help but think of that cartoon many decades ago when I thought of things like the Word of God functioning like spinach in the Popeye cartoons. And then another uh, event happened to me. And this, these were, what the bully was, was the demonic spiritual activity that would enter my life to harass me. Uh, that was the bully. And I didn't seem to have power over it. And the Christians I talked to didn't know anything about exercising power over it. So I was like, you know, getting, getting played like Popeye did. One of the ministers, there were a number of ministers at this ministry, the Lions Club. I was one of the ministers, and there were several other ministers, including the head minister, Paul Moore. And one of the other ministers, uh, we were reading the Bible and stuff together, and he asked me, if I had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I said yes, but he probed a little bit differently. This this uh, ministry was loosely connected back then to the Nazarene Church. I don't subscribe a hundred percent to Nazarene theology, uh, and that's fine. I'm not here to criticize or or applaud the Nazarenes. It's just he was working within the theological context of of the denomination. So anyway, he asked me then. Uh, have I been baptized or, or filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, I didn't know. And then he said to me, look me in the eye and said, well, if you had, you would know. I said, so I said something like, well, I guess I haven't. So he gave me a bunch of Bible verses to read and meditate on about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I read the Bible verses, I meditated on them. And then I met him in the library of the ministry, the Lambs Club on 44th Street. Now, remember, the Lambs Club is on 44th Street and Broadway. It used to be, years, decades ago, it used to be a famous 
Actors Club, where famous Broadway and Hollywood actors would stay. At one time, it was very luxurious. It had a full theatrical playhouse. It had a grand ballroom for dinners and stuff. It had a, a very luxurious grill. It, it was, you know, in its time, it was like very famous and classy. Anyway, the church ministry of the Lambs Club that I was involved in bought it for a contemporary Christian music in uh, evangelism and Christian theater and Christian television, et cetera. And I was uh, a minister that did the evangelism on stage, the MC, the producer, and I did a bunch of other stuff. So uh, the, the you know, it, we had to fix it up. It was a little bit run down, but at one time it was luxurious. So we met in the library, which was, you know, a library out of a movie set, the, the, the wood panels, and it was very elegant, the library. So the two of us are sitting at a large table in the library face-to-face, and then I forgot what he said in terms of the, the, the warm-up period, but he just looked me in the eyes and he said, do you want God to baptize you with the Holy Spirit now? Now remember, I've been fasting and praying and meditating on the Word of God. And so I was ready. I mean, I felt spiritually prepared. I don't think I had to do those things, but it was good that I did those things because it spiritually made me more sensitive, receptive, and prepared. So I said, yes. So we started to pray, and then he laid his hands on my forehead, and he began to pray. And then he prayed with a, a not theatrical authority. He prayed with the authority of a believer who actually believed the Word of God. So as he laid his hand on me and began praying, he asked the Lord out loud to baptize me right now in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. So he prayed that. As he's praying that I'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I can feel the flow, the outflow of the power of God flowing out of him and flowing into me. And the next thing I know, it's like the room disappears. He disappears, kind of. And the next thing I know, I'm I'm standing in front of Jesus, and I'm looking at Jesus. And what I did immediately after looking at Jesus, I didn't do in an attempt to be religious or spiritual or humble or pious. As I was looking at Jesus, I was overwhelmed with the sense that I was looking at the most pure, loving, supreme being that there is, God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And I was looking at him, and it was like we were in some other dimension, and I was looking at him. And I was overwhelmed when I was looking at Jesus with the, with the sense of his total love for me, his total acceptance, and his very beingness was pure. He was the Son of God, and I was overwhelmed. And so, as I'm looking at Jesus in this other dimension, I gently uh, go down to my knees and start to worship the Lord out loud. And I so I'm on my knees in front of Jesus. I'm bowing down to him. Just once, I bowed down to him, and I'm worshiping him. I'm praising his name. I'm praising him for his love, salvation. And as I'm doing that, as I bow down in front of Jesus, as an automatic response to to the fact that he's the supreme being, um, it was as the supernatural love of God began to pour through me. And I was just immersed in 
<clears throat> what I knew as it was happening. I was literally immersed in what could only be described as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was this overwhelming, overflowing sense of the Holy Spirit filling me completely and overflowing for me. It was one of the most magnificent, amazing experiences I'd ever had in my whole life. And as I'm worshiping Jesus, because you see, again, I didn't do it to be religious. I had no choice. Confronted with looking at Jesus, the Son of God, his purity, his love, his majesty, when I saw him like that, I couldn't do anything but get down on my knees and worship him. Because the awesomeness of his beauty and love and his majesty was just so overwhelming. And as I did that, waves of his glory came down upon me and filled me. And I I wasn't trying to conjure up emotion. As I'm praising him in this like vision, uh, tears are streaming down my eyes. Tears are streaming down my cheeks. And tears are just pouring out of my cheeks. because it's simply nothing more than a response to the beauty, the majesty, the glory, the love of Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I know that the Spirit of God has just come upon me with his power and glory and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pastor, and then I open my, and then there's silence. I don't know where the pastor is. <clears throat> time, I, I couldn't seem to measure time. <clears throat> and time <clears throat> had gone by. Excuse me, I can't tell you how long. Because it was like we entered a place where time stopped to mean anything. And there was a period of silence where I was just in the presence of the Lord. And then this pastor, I opened my eyes. And as I opened my eyes to look at him, I saw his eyes look at me. And there were real tears that had flowed out. My eyes were still teary that had flowed flowed down my cheeks. And he saw them. And when he looked at me, he could see the glory of the Lord in the light of my eyes and the tears. And it was obvious to him the answer to the question he was going to ask me next. He said, well, Paul, did, did, did Jesus Christ, did the Lord baptize you with his Holy Spirit? And then he just gave me this big smile, like the smile of the love of Jesus. And I said, yes. And I gave him a big smile, too, because we were like both in the know about the love of Jesus. And it was overwhelming. So, that's when I attribute the, the official first time that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm sure people have theological questions about that. I'm not here to, to, to promote a particular theological perspective, except for the Word of God. And I'm simply relaying to you <clears throat> exactly what happened to me. I'm not trying to push a doctrine or a practice or whatever. I'm just telling you exactly what happened to me. So the the measurement of what happened to me began to show up immediately. I can't tell you within hours or the next day, probably immediately. I was walking in a new sensitivity, a new power, and a new anointing of the Holy Spirit. And now, when I encountered demonic forces, either operating in a person, through a person, in an environment, a room, a place, or whatever, where normally it would have caused me to be somewhat dismayed, and I would always feel somewhat powerless. Now, I had, after this baptism of the Holy Spirit, I now had an anointing of power. I felt literally, as I uh, recollected about it, I felt like Popeye who ate his spinach. 
So now when Pluto came marching down the beach to beat up Popeye, <clears throat> Popeye had eaten his spinach, and he could defend himself and send Pluto, the giant, or the bully, on the run. So literally, I felt like Popeye who would eat the spinach, except my spinach was power of the Holy Spirit. And when I received the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I no longer feel fear the invisible principalities and powers of demons. I knew that I had power in Jesus' name to take authority over them, command them to go. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I'd have a hollow, fearful, empty feeling after I attempted that. The, 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 the authority of Christ that I was using against the demonic realm was birthed from the power of the Holy Spirit that, that was alive well in me. It gave me new power, fresh anointing to defeat demonic principalities and powers. It gave me a new anointing to break bondages in my life, to set me free from all kinds of things. It, it literally <clears throat> put the pedal to the metal. Now, I'm not criticizing anybody who prefers to use the term filled with the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit. I, I'm not here to even argue, and I'm fully aware theologically of what's called a second work of grace. I don't believe that technically and biblically there can be a second work of grace, because that's an oxymoron. So a lot of people say, well, if you teach a baptism of the Holy Spirit or whatever, you're theologically arguing for a second work of grace. The first work of grace is you're saved by Christ through faith, unmerited favor. You're saved by faith. You're born again by faith. Your sins are forgiven by faith when you're born again. That's the first work of grace in every believer's life. Critics of people who use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> they would say that people who are advocating that position are advocating theologically a second work of grace. And, and I would say on that point, I would agree with you. I don't think it's valid, or I don't think it's theologically valid to, to, to even discuss a second work of grace. Because that's, that's an impossibility when you understand the first work of grace. The first work of grace is you're saved by your faith. You're cleansed of your sins by faith. You ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You're forgiven by faith, unmerited favor, grace, unmerited favor. And you're, you're saved and you're born again, all by one work of grace, unmerited favor. It's a whole package deal, including having the Holy Spirit fill you. All happens when you're saved. Why? Because when Jesus comes, Christ comes into your life, he comes into your life, but also the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You're born again. You would not be able to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, or be born again without the Holy Spirit living in you. Therefore, it's completely theologically impossible for you to need a second work of grace to do what the first work of grace completely did for you. So, so am I saying that in order to have power and, and anointing, etc., etc., you need a second work of grace? And I'm saying to you very clearly and very carefully, no, absolutely not. There's only one work of grace that's being born again, having your sins forgiven, asking Christ into your life. It's one package. It's one work of grace. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. Now, why the confusion? Why the confusion in the terminology? Why all this discussion of, of people claiming to, to, to receive additional spiritual power after their salvation? I can't answer all the questions about that. 
there's a, I believe there's a multidimensional aspect to all of this in which we're trying to, to use ordinary constraints of language, space, time, physics, science, the Word of God. We're, we're trying to use those limited and finite constraints to, to understand or communicate something that is somewhat of an abstraction to us and a mystery. Because we're operating essentially in the physical dimension of what, of what we perceive with our senses. So I think a lot of these things, and this is not a cop-out, I think a lot of these questions that seem to be so perplexing have to do with the bias and the, the physical perception sensory bias that we're locked into. And that a lot of these things would be like automatically solved and be, become automatically obvious that there's no contradiction. It's just the, the prism that we're looking at them through uh, makes it difficult. Not that it is difficult. So. The point that I'm trying to make is that I believe there's only one work of grace. However, we all know when we spend time worshiping God, reading His Word, praying, okay, we all know, or, or attending church and renewing our mind when the Holy Spirit's moving and the Word of God is being taught, we all know that when we partake in those spiritually edifying activities, that most often we see a resultant increase in the amount and level of spiritual power and spiritual anointing from the Holy Spirit that starts to flow through us. In other words, there are acti- it's, not, it's not that we're using works to produce the work of the Spirit. It's just that when we obey God and allow more of the presence of God and the Spirit of God into our lives through prayer, through Bible study, through attending church, seeking the face of God, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we have all. Every true Christian has experienced the increase of the power and outflow of God in our lives. Now, so that's the, right there you see the answer. Nobody's calling that a second work of grace. Nobody's calling, calling prayer, praying, Bible study, going to church uh, a second work of grace. But we all notice the increase of the outflow of spiritual power. And so my opinion is, leave it as it is. You don't force something to be a second work of grace when it's not. Reading the Bible and praying, which usually causes an anointing to flow out of you with more intensity, just leave it what it is. Why, why, why have to go beyond the Bible and, and call it a second work of grace? I don't know how this phenomenon of, of this uh, power from on high, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, what some people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what some people call being filled with the Holy Spirit. So many different words used to describe supposedly the same thing. Now, is that a second work of grace? No, because that would be a theological contradiction. It is appointed, it is, it is, the Bible says it is appointed once for a man to be saved. Not, not twice, but there can only be one work of grace. It's appointed once for a man to be saved. Once. Not two or three times. And so we're saved, and then from seeking the Lord, studying his word, or simply seeking his face with an intention, intentionality. Remember, Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So let's just go to that place. You have not because you ask not. <clears throat> when, you're, when you're saved, God gives you the Spirit of God. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. Okay. Does that mean it's impossible at some future date for you 
to experience a far more dynamic infilling of the Holy Spirit or power from on high? Because the fact that you were saved initially, and when you were saved, you definitely received the Holy Spirit in your life, does that somehow close the door for future encounters between you and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, where sometime in the future, God may choose to fill you with even more of the power of His Holy Spirit, or anoint you with an even stronger anointing? Certainly not. Certainly not. So we don't have to go into this categorization of calling it a second word of a second work of grace. It's completely not important. But we do need to admit, because it's true, that in our season with God, in our walk with God, there are times where we have the intimacy, the power, the anointing, and there's other times that you and I as believers, when we pray, we, we feel like the heavens are brass. So let's just leave it at that. You, I believe you can seek the Lord and ask Him to fill you with overflowing. Ask Him to send you more of His power, as you would ask Him to develop the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him, believe that He'll do it. I have not been filled with the Holy Spirit once. I mean, even among people who are Pentecostals and Charismatics, etc., it, it, it gets a little, um, and I'm not, this is not meant as a criticism, but it gets to be somewhat uh, a little bit ridiculous where you say, well, you know, when you were saved, you got a certain amount of the Spirit. That, does, that, that doesn't ring true. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the second word, work of grace. That's not true. Okay. What happened is you sought God, you believed God. Jesus said, ask me for anything you want, and it will be done for you, and my Father who's in heaven. And then, in speaking specifically about this issue among believers and their propensity to argue about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus specifically says that if you asked a loving Father for something, you know, would, would, you, would the loving Father, instead of giving you the good thing you asked for, Instead, he gives you a snake. Would you consider that a loving father? And Jesus said, of course not. So then he says, in the same way, God, when you, if you're asking, Jesus is saying this, when you're asking God for the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God's going to answer your prayer. He's going to fill you with or baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus Christ sums it up by saying, if you ask, so will your Heavenly Father. If you ask your Heavenly Father with, for more of the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, then he's not going to turn around, your Heavenly Father, and give you a snake instead, something evil. God wouldn't do that. So Jesus Christ is trying to dismantle the confusion in people's minds by simply saying, if you go to Jesus Christ and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, baptize you with the Holy Spirit, you can be sure he's not going to give you a snake or something demonic, because that's why people are frightened. The root of it is they are mistaking Jesus and the Holy Spirit for an unclean or demonic spirit. That's why Jesus Christ told us this parable. If we ask our Heavenly Father to send us the power of the Holy Spirit, he's not going to send us a snake or a demon instead. So that's intended to dismantle people's fears about if they open themselves up to the Holy Spirit, the devil might send a demon into them. Jesus is saying, wake up. That's not going to happen at all. If you ask Jesus for something, you ask God the Father for something, <clears throat> he's going to answer your prayer by giving you what you're asking for, which is the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be afraid of demons coming in. 
And this is a critical thing here, and I get into it in my book, Power From On High. You need to get a copy before it's released to the public. You can get a financial discount on Power From On High right now by going to paulmcguire.us. I talk about this in detail in the book. I compare and contrast things like the occultic Kundalini serpent power spirit accessed in yoga and meditation, etc. The the uh, spiritual for- forces of uh, Reikian technologies and psychology, the orgone, the occultic drill force. There's so many the qigong, qi, prana force. There are so many occultic, Eastern mystical type of forces and powers. The vast majority are demonic. However, the difference is when you go to Jesus Christ and you go to God the Father in Jesus' name, you're not going to get a demonic spirit. You're going to get what you asked Jesus for, which is the Holy Spirit. And we as believers need to, to fill with the Holy Spirit. We need to know how to discern spirits especially in the time that we live in the last days. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Order yourself a copy of Power From On High. You'll get your copy before the general public. You'll get a financial discount on it. And we have money discounts off of the majority of our books when you go to paulmcguire.us. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Remember to walk in the Spirit of God. It's a choice. It's, it's, it's simply opening yourself up to Jesus. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire.